There is a strange picture floating around. Do not click it. Written and narrated by Clancy Pasta. There's a strange picture floating around, and before I saw it, I had never even considered posting a blog or writing an article or posting on a forum or anything like that at all. Despite spending a great deal of time on the internet, I'm not really the posting type. You could call me a lurker, I guess. But I don't really have any social media accounts, and I need to get the word out, and quite frankly, this is now the only way I know how. It was about a few days ago now. God, how has it only been that long? It truly feels like a lifetime ago now, or something far more removed. My life back then was drab and boring, nothing extraordinary or unique to complain about, though fairly meaningless and uninteresting as it was. But now, it is just unbelievable. Truly unbelievable. It is as though reality has been completely and utterly inverted, the fabric of space and time getting ripped in two in the process, and the laws of physics and nature of reality getting rewritten and at times, totally done away with. I was talking to a friend online. Voice chat, of course. We were talking about some of the music we've been listening to lately, bullshitting about some video games we had to complain about, and then the conversation completely changed. Our conversations are usually standard and predictable, but then, completely out of nowhere, he dragged out a carcass that should have been brought up at the beginning of the conversation. He was saying something like, I have no idea why they expanded the underworld to such an intense degree after launch. Why didn't they just put out a new game? And I said, yeah man, I get ya. You know, and without even giving me an opportunity to respond, he said, oh dude, I think someone just sent me that picture. I was a bit confused, both from getting cut off and genuinely not knowing what he was talking about. So, I asked. Well, I found a hashtag on Twitter the other day about some picture of this really funny looking dude in a hat. Big hat, I guess, but nobody was posting any actual pictures of it, so I don't know for sure. Everyone just saying they were shown the image by a friend but something about how the dude looked was apparently pretty amusing, judging from the reactions, he said. It was really weird, actually, because a lot of them said they had included the image in their posts, but the pictures would just be blank, or would lead to an error message, or something like that. A lot of people thought the Twitter bug was a sign that they were trolling, but there were so many people posting about it that I knew there had to be some kind of meme or something like that out there and a guy I know just DM'd me the original image. I still barely understood what he was talking about, but I definitely was intrigued. I'm always up to check out a strange image, and if it's one a lot of people are talking about, but nobody can find for some reason, it's gotta be worth checking out. Before I could respond, he said, Oh, oh 
wow, man. Holy shit! He started laughing hysterically. Now I was almost laughing in anticipation. What, dude? Send me the image real quick, come on. And through the laughter, I could hear a few quick clicks of the mouse, and then the link appeared in the chat box. It wasn't to any popular image hosting website, or to any media or journalistic site. It was to some jumble of letters and numbers dot net. Under rational circumstances, I wouldn't have made the absolutely idiotic mistake of clicking such a suspicious website URL. But my friend seemed to be losing his mind in hysterical belly laughter, and I needed to get in on the joke. Without thinking, I clicked the link within about half a second. My internet browser launched and now loaded at the top left-hand corner of my screen, the rest of the blank space being entirely the color black. The image was a bit longer in height than it was width, and of a man from about the mid-chest up with a very long-brimmed top hat. The hat was grayish-green, stained brown in places. It seemed to have a thick, tight stitching to it, almost seeming to be made out of leather yarn. He seemed to be looking at the floor, as the brim and top of his hat completely covered his face and neck. The background seemed to be a blue sky with a few wispy clouds. And... that was about it. It looked like an outtake in someone's photo reel. Nothing all that interesting, and definitely nothing funny. Um... is all I could say at first. I scanned the photo over a few times in search of something I could call a joke, or at least what passes for a joke in today's meme culture, but I just couldn't. Was I going insane? My friend was still laughing, though it had thankfully died down a bit, and he was now in just a very obnoxious, off-rhythm giggle. I decided to try to talk to him again. Is this the link you're looking at right now, man? He responded through the giggles immediately. Oh, man, I'm not looking at it right now, man. Not anymore. I had to close it, like, immediately. He roared into a fit of laughter. He calmed down enough after perhaps roughly ten seconds to slip in, but yeah, that's the link, man. At this point, I was very, very unnerved. Not so much in an I'm in danger sort of way, but more of a I can't believe this guy I've known for years. I've talked about all sorts of stuff with and shared laughs over. Find something so boring and uninteresting, this incredibly, ferociously hilarious kind of way. I listened to him giggle to himself a bit longer, and then I whispered out something like, Well, hey man, I've got to head out. Want to touch base tomorrow? He said sure, and I ended the call. I kept the image up on my browser, and I zoomed in a bit to fill my screen. It was so... nothing. Nothing at all. Brownish shirt of some kind, greenish brown hat, blue, slightly cloudy sky, and absolutely nothing else of any kind. 
I glanced over to the clock. It was two in the morning. Again. I put my computer to sleep and slipped into bed. Now, I should preface what I'm about to say with the fact that I don't dream often. I love dreaming, always have, but unfortunately my brain just doesn't want to let me remember them very often. But that night, and I suppose almost every night since, has been much, much different. After closing my eyes, watching the dance of static that isn't truly there, and drifting off into the abyss of sleep, I found myself in a labyrinth. When I think about the dream, in and of itself, it's really nothing extremely interesting, on the surface. I spent the entirety of the dream running around inside this completely sealed labyrinth, running down straight halls, taking corners, running some more, and so on, and so forth. But what was absolutely bizarre, more bizarre than the labyrinth itself, was what the walls were made out of. I was surrounded by walls to both of my sides, a floor and a ceiling made of the same material. And that material was the thick green stitching of the man's hat in that photo. Absolutely identical and it made absolutely no sense. And that goes for the physics of it, too. As, though all there appeared to be was fabric, the floor was as hard as solid wood, and the few times I bumped against the walls while turning a corner, they were solid as well. I wasn't able to check the ceiling due to its height, but I imagine it's the same. Besides the strange dream, I seemed to have a fairly restful night of sleep. The next day after work, I turned on my computer and hit up my friend. He's usually online by this time every day, but not then. I decided I'd sit at the desktop and wait for him to get back online. I knew it would only be a matter of time. Well, it wasn't. 30 minutes passed, and he still wasn't even online. I sent him another DM and decided to watch some YouTube videos and browse around while I wait. I was watching some cooking video, I think it was for some kind of a stir-fry, when my eyes darted to a familiar image just poking into the corner of my eye. In the suggested video section, on the side of the video, one of the thumbnails was of a cropped image of that hat guy. Exactly the same as the day before, but when my eyes scanned over to the title of the video, my stomach dropped. The title read, The Very Last Time. Something about those words just didn't feel right, but I prayed that this was the result of some kind of glitch in my internet browser's code. That perhaps instead of displaying this video's actual thumbnail, it substituted it for some other image in my browser cache or history or something. I don't know how that stuff works, but I hoped upon hope that was the case. I clicked the video. Shockingly, another browser opened, and the URL was not a YouTube link. It was to a similar but different URL to the first link I had clicked, and when the image loaded up once again, it took me a second for the realization to hit me. 
but when it did, my eyes opened as wide as they could, and the breath flew out of my lungs like it was trying to escape. The image was almost identical to the night before, except for one simple but incredibly important detail. The man's head was no longer situated so that he was staring at the floor. His head was now raised enough so that the brim of his hat no longer covered his neck. In fact, it no longer covered all of his face either, the brim resting right about below where I would expect the bottom of his nose to start. His skin was light and peach-colored, but the true revelation, what really made me feel like the wind had been knocked out of me, was that where a mouth should have been was nothing, just completely smooth skin. There was a somewhat defined chin, leading up to a completely smooth face, almost like his cheeks were never interrupted by a digestive orifice. After taking in the bizarre sight for a moment, and remembering to breathe, I highlighted and copied the link and shot it over to my friend. I typed like a madman, sending one message after the other. I told him he had to see that image, that it was like the one he sent last night but creepy as hell, and that he needed to call me when he got back online. But unfortunately, he never did get back online that night. I sat by that computer for about two hours waiting for him, and even sent him an SMS text message, which I hardly ever do. But... I got nothing. Absolutely nothing. Before logging off for the night, I decided to copy and save the URL to a notepad document so I could revisit it at a later time, and something about copying and pasting it again reminded me that the original link my friend sent me should still be in our chat history. I quickly loaded the chat log up once again and found the URL. I clicked it without thinking and was immediately brought to a would you like to purchase this domain URL with links back to some URL hosting website. The page didn't seem to exist anymore, which out of all the things going on in that period of time actually made a chuckle escape me. I just couldn't comprehend what the hell was going on. That night, I decided to leave my television on as I fell asleep. My mind was too active, and I was too unnerved by everything that had transpired. I needed the white noise and light of the television to keep me company into my slumber. Just a short time later, and I found myself in a very familiar place, the exact same maze I had been trapped the previous night. The moment my senses came to, I took in the sights once again, the thick greenish stitching from top to bottom, side to side. And I was running. But though the visual content of the dream was more or less the same, the feeling was very different. Incredibly different, really. Whereas before, I found myself exploring the labyrinth in a fairly emotionless way, perhaps a hint of uncomfortableness in the air, now I could feel the butterflies turned hornets swarming around inside my gut, 
and though in the previous dream I was running, now I was sprinting, leaning into the turns and forks in the road in an attempt not to lose momentum. All of this because I could feel in the very marrow of my bones that I was not alone. There was something trapped in here with me, or possibly whatever it was did the trapping. At first, I just knew that I was not alone, but within moments, I could hear the steps, the steps that were not my own, much louder, slower, and yet always just behind. I could feel and even slightly see the vibrations in the walls around me and under my feet as I ran. I could feel the sweat pouring from my forehead, and I was getting more and more exhausted the farther I ran. And the more exhausted I became, the more ground it seemed to close. After a while, I could hear its wheeze just behind me, like he was breathing directly into my ear. It sounded cold, almost mechanical. I couldn't make out any work from a set of vocal cords, only the quick in and out of breath through a thin tube. This seemed to go on for dozens of minutes. Eventually, I found myself struggling to catch my breath, and I realized I was on the verge of losing consciousness. The wall-shaking vibrations were at an all-time high now, dark green dust raining down from the ceiling with each heavier stop. I knew I couldn't keep up any longer, and in a moment of split-second gut decision-making, I stopped dead in my tracks. There was no thought put into this, and I knew I was being chased, but I just couldn't keep it going any longer. But the very moment I stopped, so did the shaking of the corridors. However, the creature's breath still lingered on my shoulders. I stood there like a statue, listening to the strange, always-changing rhythm of the thing's breath. All thought seemed to escape me, the exhaustion and feeling of deep fear my only sensations. And then, almost like I wasn't the one controlling my body, my legs moved of their own accord and I began to slowly twist myself around. I felt my pulse quicken, and as my eyes met head-on with the wall to my left, I realized that it was beginning to quiver ever so slightly. But within a matter of mere moments, that quiver had evolved into an incredible, impossible wave. It was as though it were made of water, and had just been met with a heavy stone. Fluid shock waves shot out from its center, in a way that made absolutely no sense for a solid object. And as I turned ever closer to the face of what was behind me, my eyes shot to the intersection of the wall and the ceiling. The fabric at the edge had begun to peel away, the green-stitched fabric beginning to rip and curl in places, and behind it revealed something very dark in color. I only got a look at it for barely a moment, before my head was involuntarily twisted away, but it seemed to be a complete and utter void from the very brief glimpse I received. As my resistance was proven futile, 
I closed my eyes in a last-ditch attempt to hide from whatever was lurking from behind, and as I felt my body's motion come to a stop, so did the thing's breaths. I listened closely, and I could hear nothing. Nothing at all. After maybe fifteen seconds of pure silence, I fought the anxiety raging in my gut and slowly opened my eyes. And... I was in my bed. The next day flashed by in a wild blur. As I drove home from work, I could barely recall what I had even done all day. Did I finish up those documents I was supposed to? Did I even see any of my coworkers? Though I knew I had to have, searching for the memories did nothing but confuse me and inspire a headache. When I got home, still not one moment closer to recalling the day's events, I decided to give up the search and just try to relax and feel okay. After slipping off my shoes, drinking some water, and taking the quickest shower I've ever taken in my life, I walked out of the bathroom to find an unusual sight. My computer, which I turn off every night before bed out of strict habit, was powered on. The light was glowing, and my keyboard was lit up. Now, this isn't the strangest thing in the world. Sometimes the computer's OS has to do an update, and turns itself on for that. It can be annoying, but perfectly normal. But what wasn't normal was for the screen to be awake, revealing the computer to have already made it past the login screen, showcasing my desktop with a chat log pulled up. I swallowed deeply, the gulp scraping against my dry throat. I quickly walked over and sat down in the chair. Whenever my computer starts acting strange, my alarms immediately start going off. Even without all this strange shit going on, I'm not a fan of viruses. But after scurrying to do a quick scan with my virus software, it found nothing of offense. I decided to run a deeper scan in the background and finally drew my attention to the chat log waiting for me on the desktop. It was from my friend. He was online now, the username Dead Bread shining bright green as it always had before our chats, and it sent me a single message. Are you online? I raised my eyebrows a bit, relieved to finally hear from him. I quickly typed and sent, Yeah, man, you get all those messages I sent you yesterday? What happened? And so I waited, and waited, and eventually I saw he was typing once again. But after minutes upon minutes of typing, I was sent, if you can believe it, yet another link. But I knew better this time. I quickly shot him a message. I'm not clicking that. To which he immediately replied by resending the link. My hands beginning to tremble above the keyboard. I typed out, Seriously, man. What the hell's going on? Is this a joke? And slammed my pinky into the enter key. 
I waited just a few moments before quickly sending out. Can you get on voice chat, man? We seriously need to talk. I waited a few moments, feeling just as sweaty and grimy as I did before jumping into the shower I had just gotten out of and stared at the chat box. Eventually, dead bread is typing popped back up under the conversation, and then I finally got another intelligible response from him. Can you video chat? This was immediately strange to me. We had known each other for years at that point, and went through periods of talking quite often, but for one reason or another, we had never got on video. I leaned back into my chair. A memory wisped past my mind's eye. A moment from at least three years ago. We had just recently started talking again, and my friend brought up video chatting. At the time, I said something like, Oh yeah, man, definitely. I just gotta pick up a webcam sometime. But in reality, I already had a webcam. I was going through a bout of anxiety at the time, and we had just begun talking again. The mere idea of him looking at me as we talked over a PC game opened the floodgates to uncomfortable feelings, butterflies, and paranoia. And that just so happened to be the last time he brought anything like that up, until now. My head spun and eyes darted to across the room in the corner where I have a little tub of unorganized junk sitting around. Looking back, I didn't recall where I had last seen my webcam, but lo and behold, upon resting my eyes on the pile of junk, the top item just happened to be that long-lost device. I took a deep breath. I quickly typed, Do I need to? I waited for about 15 minutes without even the slightest hint of a response. Eventually, I got up and walked over to the translucent corner tub. It was filled with endless cords that, just mere moments before, I had no idea were there. Endless corded tangles looking like a wicked horde of twisted snakes. What the hell did all these cords go to? And how long had this tub been here, anyways? I tried to think, but eventually gave up. I grabbed the webcam, which looked a little bigger and shinier than I had remembered, and sat back down at the computer desk. Alright, I typed in exhaustion. I've got a webcam. You ready? Almost immediately, the ringtone began its blare from my speakers. I hurriedly plugged in the webcam, sat it atop my monitor, and then, after a deep breath, clicked accept. And it was at that very moment, the bathroom light I had left on to illuminate the apartment vanished, and the screen was all I could see. The usual video chat window one would expect was nowhere to be seen, and instead the entirety of my monitor was taken up and enveloped by a wide open view of a beautiful midday sky. The sky was a beautiful baby blue, small wisps of clouds lazily wafting across. 
It took only a moment to realize where I had last seen such a view, but it was too late. The moment my mind matched the image before me to memory, the screen shut off and I was enveloped in pure, unadulterated darkness. The kind where you're left with the sparkle, swirls, and static of a midnight hypnagogia. But I could hear, and what I heard was slow, though at times wheezy, breathing. Fear crept up my neck, but I knew I had to compose myself. I swallowed, the dry desert of my throat scraping against itself, and took a few deep breaths. Eventually, I worked up the courage to speak. Are, are you there, man? I whispered, barely eking out the words. But it apparently was more than loud enough. When my vision came back to me, it wasn't in the form of a computer screen. It was in the form of a vision. There was no edge no border for me to call a screen, and it was not flat. No, there was no mere image in front of me. What I was met with was pure, expansive, all-encompassing vision. The kind you get when observing a beautiful landscape, or find yourself lost in deep focus on some brilliant work of art. It was all-enveloping. It was everything to me in that very moment. I witnessed the blue sky miles and miles away from me, and the white clouds just a bit closer, but the foreground was inescapable. The dirty, torn brown flannel jacket leading up to the neck, and that face, if you can even stand to call it that. The green hat was now tilted up even more than before, at a level you would expect were the man to be staring straight at you. But the trend continued. A stretch of skin where a mouth should have been prepped me for the bizarre lack of eyes this creature had. But nothing could have prepared me for the thing's nose. Again, if you can even call it that where its nose should have been resided a perfectly circular hole a bit wider in diameter than a soda bottle cap. Near the top I could see the fleshy inside of the orifice descend into darkness within, but oozing out of this hole, flowing out from it really, was this chunky, slimy, otherworldly, neon green fluid. This wasn't a static image. This wasn't a gif, this was like I was standing a few feet away from it, watching the disgusting flow of this fluid. I twitched and squinted my eyes as a buildup of the abominable gelatinous liquid clogged and then sputtered out of the hole towards me. I felt little drops of the stuff splatter across my face, barely missing my right eye and feeling as though a drop or two splashed across my lips. I immediately felt my body quiver in reaction, followed by an instinctive yelp. But I couldn't move, I couldn't look away, and my eyes, somehow glued open, 
continued to watch the waterfall of this green sludge. And then the image began to drift away into darkness, and within the span of about 20 seconds, I was now enveloped in pure darkness once again. It was then I noticed a slight mumbling in the background. Was someone in the room with me? My mind began to race, but then I placed the sound. It was the familiar rhythm of voices and canned laughter typical of a sitcom. Just a few moments later, I realized that my eyes weren't staring into the abyss, but that they were, in fact, closed. I slowly opened my eyes to find the ceiling fan spinning above. Turning my eyes downward, I found the television on at the foot of my bed. I was hot as hell, my sheets soaked in my own sweat as though I had run a ten-mile sprint in my sleep. I felt like absolute shit. I laid there and let the circumstances and situations slowly dawn on me. If I just woke up, then I guess that was all some sort of sick nightmare. But if that was all a dream, then when the hell did I go to sleep? I closed my eyes once again and followed my steps backwards. It was in doing so that it dawned on me that the entire previous day made absolutely no sense. The tub full of cords in my living room that I grabbed my webcam from did not really exist, and in all reality, I had no idea where that thing was. I had no memory of work the previous day, and the real kicker here was that when I had woken up the previous day, the television was off. It dawned on me that the night before the dream of being chased inside the labyrinth, I had left the TV on. And now, laying back in my bed, the TV was with me once again. I ran straight to my bathroom and vomited for minutes on end. I never did make it into work that day. I just texted my boss and let him know I wasn't feeling well and then turned off my phone. When I eventually made my way back to the computer, I was very reluctant to see who was online, but when I did, I was actually slightly relieved to see my friend wasn't. I did notice this other guy online though, a dude I met on a forum a few months prior. I hadn't talked to him much, and I hadn't introduced him to anyone else in my friend group but I was frazzled and desperate. I opened a chat window. Hey man, I started. Long time no chat. This might seem like a weird question, but have you seen that picture of a guy in a hat floating around? I pressed send. I thought that maybe if I was able to share the image with someone else, they could help me figure out what the hell was going on. So far, I was in this alone. I don't know how, considering my friend is the one who showed it to me to begin with, but I seem to be the only one experiencing this trans-dimensional hell. I was staring at the link I had saved in my notepad 
when I received a message back. Ah, oh, yeah, I've seen it. A friend sent it to me a couple days ago. I don't really get it, he said. I sighed in slight disappointment and wrote, Gotcha. And, uh, it didn't seem a bit strange to you? He eventually responded, Strange? Like, in what way? I told him to forget it. If he didn't know what I meant by strange, he obviously didn't have any idea what the fuck I've been going through. I typed that I had to go and went offline. I sat in that chair, turned away from my computer screen, just staring at the floor. I began to think about the first thing he said, how a friend had showed him the image. My friend had originally showed the image to me, and he claimed a friend had shown him as well. Something about that specification, how discovery of the image always comes from a friend, led me to hit up another guy on my friends list I barely knew. I got a hold of the first guy I noticed pop online. I couldn't even remember where I met this guy, but it didn't matter to me. All social anxiety and verbal awkwardness aside, I had to figure this out. I asked him if he'd seen the image, and he said he had. I was now fully unsurprised that this guy didn't seem all that interested in the image to begin with, like it was some decades-old meme that was now thoroughly cringeworthy to even talk about. But I had to ask him, how did you find the picture? He then told me it was through a friend. I hesitated for a moment before finding the courage to pry a little bit more than I'd typically be comfortable with, with someone I barely knew. What's your friend's name? I quickly sent. After a few minutes, he sent back, I don't know him IRL, but his user's dead bread. Immediately, my heart jumped into my throat. I felt as though I was on the verge of passing out. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't believe it. I quickly exited out of that chat window, leaving the guy hanging and opened up one for our apparent mutual. I sent him a barrage of messages. Things like, how do you know this guy and that guy? And, I know you've been sending this to everybody. And, what the hell is going on? Lots of stuff like that. No response. Frustrated as hell, I got up to grab a glass of water from the kitchen. Upon returning, I found a message waiting for me. Here we go, I thought, almost entirely sure it wasn't going to be anything good. I was correct. It was another link, of course, but this time it wasn't some bizarre jumble of letters and numbers. It read, secondchance.py. Clicking his links has never worked out for me before, but at the same time, what else was I to do? I was curious as hell as to what was going on here, and I was getting nowhere fast as far as answers are concerned.
Confused, dejected, and with an attitude of giving zero fucks, I clicked the link, bracing myself for shock and disturbed horror. Thankfully, it didn't take me to another version of that image. Unfortunately, however, it took an entirely different turn altogether. I was taken to a web page with a black background. In the middle of the page read a single sentence in white lettering. Would you share this image with your friend? Underneath was a very small, hyperpixelated version of the first image I was sent. It was so small and the quality so low, I could only tell what it was out of obsessed familiarity. Underneath the small picture of the man in the hat, there were two buttons. The one on the left read, Yes, with an exclamation point at the end, and the other button was curiously blank. Well, I certainly wasn't a fan of the image, and at this point I most definitely did not feel like sharing it with any of my friends. So, mix that with my curiosity, and I clicked the blank one. The screen began to reload. Completely black at first, the page begins loading an image from the top, all the way down, loading it unimaginably slowly, one horizontal pixel line at a time like it's being generated on some mid-90s dial-up. My eyes glued to the screen. The image began to slowly take form. I first realized it was a room, a dark room. Then it became obvious it was someone sitting in front of a computer screen, perspective from about 20 feet away and behind. It didn't take long after noticing this for the realization to hit me, and at the same time, the rest of the image loaded completely in a matter of two seconds. What I was now staring at was a photo. A photo of my room, me sitting in front of my computer screen, wearing the same clothes I was wearing in that very moment. Without even turning around, I knew that the image could only have been taken from the laundry room nook behind me. What happened immediately after is going to be hard for me to explain, but simply put, I lost my mind. The anxiety building up in my gut exploded into fireworks, and I jumped onto my feet, screaming and ran wildly to the bathroom across the room and into the hall, slamming the door and locking it behind me. I began pacing immediately, probably whimpering with an expression of absolute horror on my face. I think I was trying to tell myself to calm down, but the whole experience was a blur. All I know is that eventually I got tired, very tired, and I sat down on the porcelain lid of my toilet. I knelt over, resting my forehead and my palms. I sat like that, going over everything that had happened thus far in my head in a lightning bolt of memory, before I heard a slight rustling to my left. I looked over to see a folded up piece of copy paper being slid under the door from the other side. 
just a moment after I caught it in the act. All movement ceased. It was about halfway in. Slowly, I walked over and examined it as best I could. It seemed to be just a normal piece of paper. I was very tense from everything that had happened, and anxious, and so I stood there for probably five minutes, terrified of what could happen were I to reach down in an attempt to grab the paper. For all I knew, whatever was out there could slide its tentacle through the gap in the door and pull me under, or something far worse. But eventually, I mustered enough courage to swipe the thing in a quick two millisecond yank. My shaking hands fighting against me, I opened the page. On it, handwritten in the middle of the page, read, Would you share this image with your friends, Captain J? Captain J. I sat back down on the porcelain as my mind swirled into the past. When was the last time I heard that? It was an old nickname I had back when I was a kid, but I mean old. As I rifled through my memory bank, I could only recall one kid ever giving me that name, and it was a kid named Charles, though we always called him Charlie. Why would... no, how would whoever this is know me by that name? It was at this time I realized my cell phone was still in my pocket. With the speed of a gazelle, I dove my hand into the pouch. Fishing out the cellular device, I hesitated to make my decision, but after considering everything, there was obviously someone currently in my house taking photos of me, and now taunting me. There was more than enough reason to call the cops. And so, after a few moments of hesitation, that's exactly what I did. And it went just about how you'd expect. I waited in the bathroom until my doorbell rang. I at first creaked the door and then scurried over to the entrance like a frightened cat under a couch. I told them everything that had happened and showed them the note. The computer's internet browser was closed and the link now, somewhat surprisingly, even though it really shouldn't have been at this point, went to a blank page. They took a look around and suspiciously noted that there was no sign of forced entry, and all the doors in the house were still locked, despite the fact that the perp was no longer there. As time went on, it became more and more obvious that the officers weren't taking this as a top priority case. Eventually, they basically said, Well, we'll keep an eye out, call if anything else happens, and left. I locked the door behind them and sped-walked to my bedroom. After locking the door behind me, drawing the curtains and turning off all of the lights, I crawled under my covers, my eyes continually darting between the door, the windows, and my own bedroom closet. My mind narrowed from everything that had happened to Charlie, my old childhood friend, the only kid I ever knew to call me. Captain J. We first met in kindergarten and became best friends about halfway through the year. He was always goofy and fun to hang around, and after straining through my memories, I finally recalled the moment the nickname came about. 
We were playing on the playground, some kind of space cop imagination game. He was the evil space alien, and I was, as Charlie put it, Captain J. You'll never catch me, Captain J. I heard his five-year-old voice scream out in my mind, followed by the childhood laughter we all wished to recapture into adulthood. Whatever happened to that kid? I tried to think. I know we were good friends through kindergarten, but my memories afterward begin to get a little hazy. I thought for a moment that he must have left to another school the next year, but then I recalled in a brief flash a kind of going-away party for him in the third grade. But even then, I couldn't really place a distinct memory of him. Just the teacher announcing it was his last day and everyone eating chocolate cupcakes. That was it. Was he on my Facebook friends list? I fished out my phone once again and loaded up the app. I clicked on my friends list and scrolled through, quickly reading the first names as I did so. No, he wasn't on my friends list, but I did remember his last name. I typed his name into the search engine and clicked enter. After scanning my eyes just about halfway down the page, my eyes lit up. There it was. Charlie. Clicking on his page, the banner immediately caught my attention. It was of a desktop background, literally just a screen cap of a generic Windows 7 desktop background. I think there was a Firefox shortcut on there. That's about it. And then I paid closer attention to his profile photo. We were in the same class, so he had to have been in his mid-twenties now. Yet, his profile photo looked to have been some kind of a developed photo from one of those old disposable cameras. It was him, as he was when I knew him best, in kindergarten. He was standing outside, in front of a trampoline, staring into the camera with that giant smile that sent a flood of memories and recollections flooding through my mind. But it was a bit odd. Why would someone make a very early childhood photo their Facebook profile pic? I scrolled down to check out his posts, and that's when the anxiety started to ramp up once again. There were dozens upon dozens of posts made in just the last week. However, none of them said a word. They were all links. Random, thrown together jumbles of characters that looked fake as all hell. But a few jumped out at me as familiar. I knew what they were without even clicking a single one. I suddenly had no desire to send this page a friend request, but this was still all too weird and made so little sense and left so many curiosities floating around that I knew I couldn't just leave it. I closed my eyes and searched my mind for the name of Charlie's mother. Was it Christy? Cheryl? I strained and pondered, but eventually just started punching names into the search field. Eventually, a profile picture showed up that looked very familiar. It was that characteristic near-afro brown hair his mother always had, though she looked much more aged than I recalled from childhood. Regardless, 
I shot her a friend request. Luckily for me, she accepted it just moments later and even sent me a brief, friendly message. Jason, it's so great to see you on here. I hope you're doing well. Well, that was nice. I sent her a message back, just brief small talk at first, and then I decided to mention the Facebook page. Yeah, I was wanting to get in touch with Charlie, but I wasn't sure if this page was really his or not. It seemed a little odd. Here's the link. And I hit send. After a few minutes pause, the longest thus far in our conversation, she responded back. Oh my. No, that is not Charlie's page. Charlie doesn't even have a page. That's what I figured. I said. Well, I would have Charlie report it to Facebook so that they can take it down. I'm pretty sure they do that to impersonation accounts. After a brief pause in typing, I quickly sputtered out, and don't click any of those links. They could have viruses. And hit send. She responded saying that she would report the page and thanked me for bringing it to her attention. The joyous attitude that came through her messages at first had dwindled. Well, you know, it's been a long time since I've talked to Charlie. Is there a phone number I could reach him at or anything? I'd love to catch up with him. There was, again, another few minutes pause. Then she started typing. The typing lasted for far longer than my nerves could handle. Eventually... Words popped up on the screen. I suppose you don't know about Charlie's condition, the message said. His condition? I didn't recall Charlie having any issues. No, what happened? I quickly asked. After another unnervingly long wait, I got my answer. Oh, Jason, I can't believe it never got back to you. Near the end of high school, so about eight years ago or so, Charlie got in this habit of exploring the town, specifically places with little to no people and especially abandoned buildings. He called it urban exploration. Well, just before the start of his 10th grade year, he had climbed his way to the top of this five-story abandoned factory. He was walking along this mesh metal walkway when the rusted flooring gave out. He fell five stories, Jason. My jaw fell open as I read the message, but it didn't end there. What she went on to describe sent waves of disturbed shock and horror through my body. Apparently, the building was in extreme disarray, and when he fell through the suspended metal walkway, it was a straight fall all the way to the ground floor. He most likely would have died on impact, but as the chips happened to fall, he was destined for a much worse fate. There was a thin but incredibly strong steel beam poking out from the wall just about where the second story would be. And as fate would have it, as Charlie flailed, speeding faster and faster towards the ground, his chin made contact with the steel beam. 
It was strong and sharp enough in the edge that caught his chin that, with the speed with which Charlie was rocketing towards the ground, it ripped through. It easily tore through the flesh and the underside of his jaw and split the bone in two. Once through, it shattered his top teeth before splitting his skull like a coconut. The metal beam made its way from the bottom of his chin through his jaw through his face, and then out the top of his skull. Jason was lucky, or possibly extremely unlucky, depending on how you view the situation, in that the metal bar just so happened to be positioned smack dab in the middle of his face upon contact. Because of this, when the bar reached his brain, it slid perfectly between the hemispheres, splitting and severing the connections between, but leaving his brain otherwise perfectly intact. The bar exited the top of his skull, and he smashed into the ground. Were it not for the steel bar, the speed of the fall would have ended in his certain death, but because of the interruption on his way down, his descent was slowed, and aside from the damage to his skull, his fall only resulted in a broken leg and a series of bruises. It just so happened his mother had installed some kind of child tracking software on his phone, so when she got the notification that the signal had been lost, she knew something was wrong. She tracked where he had last been and drove there as fast as she could. That was the scene she discovered the travesty she walked into. He was bleeding profusely and was obviously unconscious. However, by nothing less than a genuine miracle, he managed to survive. Or at least, in a way. He never fully regained consciousness, just drifting in for moments at a time, lifting his arm, and then twitching into a series of seizures before being put back into a medically induced coma. He spent the last eight years in a hospital bed, lucky or not, to have survived not only the accident, but the series of riskier than risky surgeries that followed in the immediate aftermath. I was shocked and absolutely flabbergasted at the story. I couldn't believe I'd never heard about this and told her so. In a daze, I typed how sorry I was about what happened and that I hadn't heard about it sooner and a bunch of other stuff that doesn't matter. She appreciated my thoughts and told me she wishes every day that she stopped him from leaving that morning, that he would be all grown up now, out of the house, with a wife and a life, maybe even some kids. But that's all out of the question now, never to return. The conversation, having taken a devastating turn for us both, began to wind down. I kept thinking about the description of the accident she had given me, and how he was still technically alive to this very day. It was heartbreaking. I could still barely believe it, but... Then a thought came into my head that I now wish never came, that I wish just passed without action. 
I typed. Do you have any pictures of Charlie from after the accident? Within a few moments, she sent over one lone photo. No caption, no message to go along with it. Nothing. And like a visual illusion, it took me a moment to fully grasp what I was seeing. But then it hit me like a wrecking ball to the side of the skull. What I saw before me was apparently Charlie lying in a hospital bed. He was wearing a dark brown gown and this strange green cap. It looked more like a beanie than anything else, but it looked rather odd, something I couldn't quite place. But the boys, or would it be more proper to call him a man's face, is what took my breath away. The description of the accident was hard to even comprehend, but the photo brought it all together. Like someone having been described the works of Salvador Dali finally getting their eyes on a painting. The doctors, in an effort to save his life, had to essentially restructure, reconnect, and modify his skull to an unusually intense degree. His face had been brutally destroyed. His nose, mouth, and eyes completely obliterated in the impact of the fall. And what I saw before me was, and still is to this day, the most disturbing thing I have ever seen. Looking at my old childhood friend's face, there was no mouth, nothing whatsoever. I saw a horrible patchwork of scars and stitches littering where his mouth should have been, almost looking like some amateur sewing work done by a child. I questioned how and why it would have been done like this, leading me to assume the damage must have been so substantial they had to work fast. The only option the surgeon saw was to give him a feeding tube. His nose, which was also destroyed, was reduced to a grotesque hole, looking like something straight out of a horror movie. It leaked mucus, the color a mixture of clear, yellowish-green, and with a few streaks of dark, crusted red. Then, just above where his eyes should have been, well, I think you can guess, it was essentially the same story as with what happened to his mouth. Another patchwork of scars and stitches that will possibly one day smooth over into nothing. No mouth, no eyes, and a simple hole for a nose. Without saying another word, I logged off Facebook. My eyes drifted to the spinning ceiling fan as the whirlwind of thoughts began to flood my mind. It was a silent whirlwind, though, as though I was in the center of a spinning tornado so silent I could still hear a pin drop. I had been so stressed, so freaked out and confused by that godforsaken picture the past few days, that this was just too much. Learning of my old friend's fate was just the straw that broke the camel's back, but in this case, the camel's back was my ability to process emotion. 
I must have laid there for hours, just watching the ceiling fan, seeing the images of both the man in the hat and what I knew the man in the hat to truly be in alternating flashes within the spinning blades. And long after the light trying to creep its way in through my window shades dimmed and the clock's PM switched to AM, I must have drifted to sleep, because before I knew it, I found myself in a familiar place. The same place I had found myself the previous two nights. That labyrinth. But there were a few differences I picked up on as soon as I realized where I was. The first was that I immediately recognized where I was. I wasn't caught in some loop of running or outrunning anything. I wasn't mindlessly going about whatever the dream created for me. I was clear-minded and lucid. I hadn't been lucid in a dream since childhood, but I guess the absurdity of life as of late had put me in a mental state peculiar enough to spark lucidity. After taking in the fact that I was in a dream, realizing that I wasn't running and didn't even feel the need to run, I took a look around. Those walls, the green, thickly stitched walls. I walked over and rubbed my palm against the stitching. It was rough and coarse, almost itchy. I then looked up to where the wall met the ceiling. It was probably about seven feet up, out of reach. My eyes lingered down to where the wall met the floor. Then I got on my knees. Knowing I had just recently clipped my fingernails, I closed my eyes. My nails are strong and long, strong and long, I spoke, while imagining my fingernails about two inches in length and with the solidity and build of a steel blade. Opening my eyes, I was delighted to find my fingers tipped and equipped with long, shiny nails. Tapping them against each other, I let out a slight chuckle and how thick and tough they were. They made a surprisingly satisfactory clinking sound when I tapped my thumb and middle nails together. This would definitely do. I dug my nails into the crease against the wall and the floor and pulled up with all of my strength. Lifting the fabric was much easier than expected rising much like a long, flowy curtain rather than a tight-stitched fabric. And underneath was nothing. Nothing at all. Pure darkness manifest. I reached my hand to the darkness and was not surprised to watch it pass right across the boundary, right through the wall and even through the floor. I imagined the kind of endless freefall I'd end up in if I hurled myself into the abyss and decided I'd better leave it be. But right as I was about to stand up, I noticed a tiny dot of light in the distance of the black void. I watched it for a few moments before it slightly dimmed and disappeared altogether. But then, within a moment of the light's expiration, a paper airplane flew out from the void right by my arm and into the other 
much more solid wall behind me. I dropped the curtain and turned to face the wall as I stood up. The piece of paper was wedged in the stitching like a needle in a cube of clay. My mental state in that moment would probably be hard to describe. I was still feeling the rich numbness of the night I fell asleep from, and though I was curious still, a cloud of confusion and meaninglessness surrounded me. Regardless, I plucked the paper from the wall and unraveled it. Inside was another sentence, this time looking as though it were written in old-timey calligraphy. It took a moment for my eyes to make out the words, but eventually I made it out. It read, The very last time is over. The moment the last words spoke in my mind, the paper disintegrated in my hands, and as the walls began to decompose, flakes and strands of string unraveling and falling to the ground, my vision began to dim. And within a matter of moments, I found myself back in my bed. It was still dark outside, and my eyes darted to the clock. It was about 4 a.m. I couldn't have been out longer than a few hours, perhaps as short as 30 minutes. I was still tired, very tired, as a matter of fact. But sleeping, and specifically laying in that bed, was the last thing I wanted to do in that moment. I got up and made my way to the living room. A slight sigh escaped me as I noticed my computer screen active, yet another chat box open. I wasn't surprised anymore, and I wasn't even really that scared. I was too mentally fatigued to feel the cold grip of fear around my spine. After grabbing a bottle of something, I don't remember what, from the fridge, I sat down in my chair and checked out what was up. It was, of course, dead bread. His message read, Is it over yet? I read it over a few more times, and each time I did, all the feelings I had experienced over the last few days the fear, the confusion, the anger and shock and the sorrow came back and intensified. Then, in a blast of emotions whose only alternative was to smash the computer monitor altogether, I exploded into my keyboard. Listen, man, I started into the chat box. I don't know who the hell you are anymore, or what the hell you are. I know what it's from, dude. I know what the picture's from. Charlie. It's from fucking Charlie. Why? Just why, man? Help me. I don't understand and I want to understand. It took a little while, but he eventually responded. What happened between kindergarten and the third grade, Captain J? Anger raged within my gut, and I furiously typed, Stop calling me Captain J. You don't even know what that means. I wasn't sure it was true, but I knew it should be. 
he didn't seem to care. What happened in the time in between? What happened? His message read. I sat back in my chair and thought. What did happen? It was a good question, a question I'd struggled to figure out in the hours before. Charlie and I had been the best of friends in kindergarten, but everything up until his going away party at school, if you can even call it that, is just not there. Why did we stop hanging out? What did happen? My hands met the keyboard. I don't know, I typed. I don't know, I can't remember. Immediately upon sending, another message popped back in response, too fast for him to have actually read my words, but he obviously, somehow, had. Swimming class. Jerry and Tom, the deep end, was all his message said, but the words were more than enough. Immediately, a hurricane of memories rushed through my head, and I turned away from the screen in an attempt to grab a hold of myself. Swimming class, I said to myself. Oh god, oh my god. I remembered, or at least, I was starting to. It was about halfway through third grade year. Our class had partnered with some gym or something to do a weekly swimming class for a few months. I was never great at swimming, but I didn't have the hardest time either. No, that honor would have to go to Charlie. As the memory began to come back, others did as well. Whereas Charlie was previously missing from many memories over the years before third grade, now he was everywhere. He was always there, always in class. I can't believe I didn't remember. We were still really good friends in first grade, but that was also the year I started talking to some other kids more. Nick and Freddie soon became a part of the friend group, but I remember Charlie never seemed to get it on with them. He never really liked hanging out with anyone besides me. And when I'd be playing with Nick or anyone else, he'd usually just get all quiet and go off to be by himself. I didn't understand it then. He'd asked a few times if we could hang out, just the two of us, and I would oblige and say, sure. But I'd always get bored and invite others into the group. This would, in turn, drive Charlie away. By second grade, Charlie and I hadn't hung out in months, and our interactions were becoming less and less like those between childhood friends and more and more childhood acquaintances, and then not even that. Whereas life seemed fairly normal to me, Charlie was acting more and more closed off, quiet. He wasn't laughing anymore, and as I try my hardest to find an exception, I can't even imagine second grade him smiling at me. Things were very different, and that difference continued to strain and isolate till and through the third grade. That was when it happened. 
Swimming class was just about over, and most of the kids had gone into the locker room to change. I was drying off a little, about 15 feet away or so from the deep end of the pool. I was trying to get some water out of my ear when I heard a mixture of arguing, laughing, and some kind of a whimper. I looked up to see a scene unfolding by the pool. Charlie was always on the smaller side, and these two kids were with him, Jerry and Tom. It took me a moment to realize they weren't having fun with him. They were teasing him and slowly walking toward him, backing him up against the edge of the pool in the process. I couldn't hear anything that they were saying, and the two's backs were turned to me, but I could see Charlie's face. His scared, lonely, horrified face. Tom shoved Charlie, and he reached out, wiggling and waving his arms around to try and find the balance to save him from the pool. Somehow, he managed to just barely find the balance, inching instead ever closer to the edge. The two kids laughed. At the time, I could feel my heart picking up speed, and the adrenaline began to do its job. But these kids were bad news. I'd never gotten harassed by them, but I'd seen them do it to too many others. And as I watched the scene unfold, standing up to get a better look out of concern, I noticed Charlie look just to the side of Jerry and lock eyes with me. He didn't say a word, but it was clear nonetheless. He needed help. Help me, Captain J. I read in his eyes, but I didn't move. Not a single muscle. And within about ten seconds, the two assholes made their final move. I think it was Tom who shoved Charlie into the deep end of the pool. Luckily, there was an adult nearby who heard the splash of water and alerted the swimming instructor. I watched as he dove in, and a few moments later rose to the surface with a coughing, gagging, and crying Charlie. As soon as I saw he was okay, I grabbed my towel and quickly walked the hell out of there. It was the very next week the teacher announced it was his last day. I didn't say a word to him, nor did he to me or anyone else. He disappeared like a speck of dust in a snowstorm. As the flood of memories began to die down, I turned back to the computer. I began to type. I remember now. I remember, but I still don't know what all of this is supposed to mean. I press send. Fifteen minutes later, my friend had yet to respond. Anxious, emotionally burnt, and upset for a million reasons at once, my hands went back to the keyboard, fingers typing furiously. Hello? What is all of this supposed to mean, dude? I know what happened now. I know I screwed up and I know I should have been there for him. Helped him, at the very least. But what can I do? 
I'm going to have to live with this for the rest of my life now. I mean, Jesus Christ, that photo his mom sent me. I'm not going to be able to get that image out of my head, ever. I know things could have been, probably, would have been different for him if I would have stepped in at any time over those years before he left. But what am I supposed to do now? What do you want from me? What the hell is there to do? After sending the message, my face contorted in an attempt to restrain tears and anger. It showed me he was typing. And then, after a minute or two, I received his final message. Nothing. You can't change the past. And before I could even finish reading the sentence, I noticed something appeared at the top of the window. It was a little error message, saying something like, User not found. I tried to click into the chat box, but only got another error. Upon restarting the software, I clicked my friends list. I scanned it once, then twice, then a dozen times searching for dead bread. But he wasn't there. Did he just unfriend me? I searched for his account and didn't find a single thing. In a confused haze, I sent a message to one of the guys I asked about the picture the day prior. I asked him if Dead Bread was online right now, and his response made me release an audible groan of shock and confusion. Who? he asked. The guy who sent you that picture of a guy in a hat. What picture? he said. This went on like that for a while. I tried to jog his memory, explaining in excruciating detail a brief conversation we'd had the day prior, but he claimed to not remember a single thing. Perfect. In an attempt to prove to him and myself that I was not crazy, I found one of the links I'd saved and loaded it up. But alas, and unsurprisingly, it loaded to a blank page. Nothing whatsoever. Over the next few dozen minutes, it dawned on me more and more that there was no evidence of anything that had transpired over the last few days. I had no copy of any image. None of the links worked. My dreams took place only in my mind. And that note, once slid under my bathroom door, was now nothing but a blank piece of copy paper. From an outside point of view, the last few days didn't even exist. So, here I am. I'm typing this as an account of what happened to me the last few days, and in a hope that someone out there might have a similar story and can relate to it. If you do, please hit me up. I feel like I've lost my mind and could use a little grounding. I've thought a lot about what all of this could mean. It obviously doesn't make any rational sense. 
But that last thing Bread sent to me before disappearing from the face of the earth. Nothing. You can't change the past. Keeps ringing in my mind. I feel like there's a point there, somewhere. But running through all of the options, I can't figure out what it would be. Was the point to make me remember and feel awful about my actions as a child? For being a passive, cowardly kid? Am I supposed to just sit around feeling awful for what ended up happening to Charlie years ago in that accident? For the love of God, what is it that I'm supposed to take from this? I don't know. I still don't know. And I've been sitting here thinking about it for hours. Perhaps the world is a lot weirder than we'd like to think. Perhaps karma plays out less like a universal law and more like a chaotic mercenary hunt. Perhaps this was my punishment for how I treated Charlie and all of the pain it led to despite me not playing a vital role in any of it to begin with. But if that is the case, if all of this was my punishment, then what about all of the other regrets and mistakes I've made in my life? Surely my history with Charlie isn't the only wrong I've ever made. Surely this could be seen as only the beginning. I think this question will haunt me for the rest of my life, the paranoia following me in a clouded daze until I finally get my answer and come to understand these strange, horrible, confusion-filled nights. Until then, I pray I can keep my sanity and find a way back to normal, everyday reality. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed tonight's story. If you did, make sure to check out more of the author's work in the episode description and go to youtube.com slash clancypasta to hear new episodes first. And if you'd like your story featured in an episode, feel free to email it to clancypastastories at gmail.com. You can always get your creepy cool merch at teespring.com slash stores slash clancypasta store. And I hope you all have a great night. Cheers. <laughs>